0: So I'm happy that, uh, that Beth is here and it's always, uh, it's always wonderful to open up God's word and to share it with folks. So if you could turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, going to direct your attention toward a particular topic that is actually of critical importance, but we don't often talk about it in the church. It's critically important, this topic, if we are to build and maintain a great church. I'm not exercising any flattery at all when I say I consider this church to be a great church because I measure greatness by some characteristics. So say, for instance, if I was looking for a church I uh, was in need of a local church. For Beth and I, there'd be a few characteristics, a few values that we would look for. Uh, And when I say great church, by the way, I don't mean superior to others. I don't mean comparisons in any way, shape, or form. There's no room for spiritual pride. But I mean we major on the big things, the things of utmost importance. And so for me, if I was looking for a church, The first thing I would evaluate is the preaching because the preaching will tell me how faithful the pastors are to the word of God. I've heard both Josh and Tim preach, and they are excellent, faithful preachers who I could listen to week in and week out and be fed wonderfully. I would want to be a part of a church that had enthusiastic singing. I don't personally care what the style is. I don't care if it's organ. I don't care if it's a cappella. I don't care if it's all hymns. Don't care what the style is, but I want to be a part of a church where people sing. It is um, one of the things I do with one of my sons, and some of you may not know the artist, but my oldest son is a big fan of Bruce Springsteen. So i have gone to see Springsteen like eight times in my life, which is nothing compared to a true fan who's been 100 to 200 times and up. When you go to a Springsteen concert, you stand in line for a couple of hours to wait for wristbands to try to be into this small area in front of the stage where they let three to 400 people. And the last three concerts Ryan and I went to, we were in in that small area down by the stage and then you wait and stand a couple of hours for Springsteen to come out, and then his concert is three to four hours long. And by the time you're done with it all, you've stood for eight hours, and you shouted and cheered tremendously. And all I want to say is, Jesus is more worthy than Bruce Springsteen of our praise. Some of us are big-time sports fans, and I want to say, no matter what team we cheer for or may like, our sports cannot be more enthusiastic than our singing to Jesus. Our, our singing to Jesus matters tremendously. And then if I'm looking at a church, besides preaching and singing, I would look at the spiritual health of the teens. I'd want to know how families are doing and how the church is doing in investing in teens because teens give away a lot about what is taking place in a church. And then I'd want to know if there's community or fellowship I want to know, is this a church where they drop in on Sunday morning and go their own way? Or is this a church where the people are actually connected some, there's walking in the light, there is true fellowship with one another? And I'd want to know if there is an outreach concern. Uh, we can't hide our light, Jesus said, under a basket. So, so we let our light shine. So the topic I'm going to speak on today deals with the fourth and fifth areas, with outreach and with our community together. If we will be a church that's faithful and fruitful, if we will excel as a great church, then we will excel at hospitality. So you may not have heard a sermon on hospitality. This might be your first, but it's what Josh asked me to address you on, and I'm happy to do so. My sermon title is Seek to Show Hospitality. And I want to demonstrate to you that hospitality is vitally important in the life of a faithful Christian. My three points will be the definition of hospitality, the motives for hospitality, and the application of hospitality. And the text is Romans 12, 9 to 13. I'd like to read that now, but first, let me give you a little context. So, Romans, you may know, we're in the 12th chapter. Romans 1 through 11 is wonderfully rich and deep doctrine. We're preaching through it back at Living Hope Church right now. We're up to chapter eight, uh, possibly one of the most wonderful chapters in all of the uh, Bible, and you heard some of it uh, read this morning. But when those chapters conclude, and Paul turns to Romans 12, uh, he says, I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Right? So we're a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he's going to unpack a number of items, all of which could be sermons or sermon series. And so we'll dive in at verse nine, where we read, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. And let me just pause there. Uh, It's important to abhor what is evil. Uh, We live in a day and age where evil is increasingly being put forward as something that we should be at least neutral about. We should abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good First point, the definition of hospitality, I'd like you to understand what we're talking about precisely. This text begins with two commands that frame our understanding of hospitality. Let love be genuine and love one another with a brotherly affection. It means always and continuously. It's a way of life for us. Where love is cold, hospitality will eventually diminish. People will eventually pull back from one another where love cools. People will not have brotherly love. So I'm going to quote a few individuals. I'll quote some of the apostles as well as some modern day writers. Alexander Strach says, Hardly anything is more characteristic of Christian love than hospitality. Hospitality is essential to fanning the flames of love and strengthening the Christian community. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share the things we value most, family, home, financial resources, food, privacy, and time. In other words, we share our lives. We know Jesus calls us to love one another We know this is to be visible. In John 13, 34 and following, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This love is to be on display. It's to be seen by those around us. We can't isolate ourselves. We can't fly solo and then say, it's going to be obvious to all people that I'm a disciple of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus gravitate toward people because they love and they care for them. Love, love is beautiful. Love is attractive. The apostle Paul puts it this way. This is how we treat brothers and sisters in the Lord. He says, if I speak, this is 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, and if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. So Michael Green, in his book, Evangelism in the Local Church, says love is the most attractive quality in the world, and it lies at the heart of Christianity. Alexander Strzok again, love and hospitality always go together. So hospitality is rooted and grounded in the love we have for one another, which flows out of what Christ has done for us. We love because he first loved us. So motivated by, compelled by the cross of Christ, we want to love others. So hospitality is rooted and grounded in love. What exactly is hospitality? It comes from a Greek word that comes from two words, which mean friend Or to be friendly to one, beloved or dear. And the second word means stranger, unknown, foreign, or guest. When you put it together, what you get is stranger loving or friendly to strangers. An English dictionary puts it this way the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. Hospitality is tangible in that we contribute to the needs of saints and strangers. But what motivates the Christian to show hospitality? Point two, the motives for hospitality. One motive I think perhaps, I mean, the gospel is a huge motive. We'll get to that. Uh, But this is huge. Uh, One motive for hospitality is that we actually do it to Jesus. It's actually the way we treat the Lord. Part of our union with Christ, our union in Christ, our in Christness means that Christ is in you and Christ is in me. And so we are so intertwined together, us and Christ, that the way I treat you is the way I treat Jesus. It's not your spouse, for instance. It isn't just the way you treat her, in my case. It's the way I treat her and Jesus. Because they're so intertwined. They are so connected. So Jesus tells us this when he writes, uh, well, inspired word in Matthew 25, 34 and following, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Strangers, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous, listen to this, will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty? Or give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. God cares for his people. And the way he sometimes cares for his people is in the way we minister to them. So our heart for hospitality is large and expansive. Now, we live in the reform world. In the reform world, it's sometimes common for folks to be scared of good works, and it's sometimes common for folks to fear a social gospel, and I think with good reason. uh, It's understandable, but folks can be scared to death of good works, but we're not. We're not scared of good works because we understand that as we do good works to our neighbor, particularly those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we're doing it as under the Lord. We're doing it to Jesus. And I think that's glorious. As we do them, we don't just do the good work, but we share Jesus with them. We proclaim Jesus to them. Uh, And I'm speaking, even when folks are believers, we encourage one another in the Lord, in our spiritual walk. Another motive is God himself. By this, I mean God, the father, God is hospitable and we imitate God in the old Testament. Do you remember God clothes Adam and Eve? He will later lead his people out of Egypt. He will clothe them. He will feed them. Do you remember the clothing lasted 40 years? It did not wear out in the desert at all, supernaturally. God provides for them. He cares for them. In the New Testament, Jesus promises that if we seek first his kingdom, our daily needs, food and clothing, will be met because our Father cares for us. Jesus offers us a meal with him now. When Jesus was in the world physically, if you look through the Gospels, he was always eating. I think you might be going through Luke. In Luke's gospel, there's always food. And Jesus is either offering hospitality or receiving hospitality, but there's just a lot of eating going on, and it's glorious. Well, Jesus offers us a meal now. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, this is to Christians, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. This is a spiritual meal But the physical reality that we demonstrate is often reflective of a spiritual reality. And so we seek to bless others with hospitality. The Christian has a new DNA. It's a divine DNA. And so we take on the characteristics of God, and we take on the ethics of God. And so what God does, we seek to do. We seek to bring his kingdom to earth as we live for his glory. Yet another motive I'll call the end of the world, because... There's a feast that we call to mind with every meal and all the more with guests. This is in Revelation 19, six and following. This is is glorious. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sounds of mighty peals of thunder, crying hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come And his bride, that's us, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. There's a marriage supper, a feast that we long for and live for. And as we eat with one another and have hospitality with one another, we're calling to mind, it's a foreshadowing, it's a first fruits of the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will be with Jesus. Another motive is the gospel itself and its effect on us. Uh, maybe this is the most important motive. We were once selfish, hating one another, but the love of God broke through and now we love others. We love those in the church and we love those who are outside the church as well. Alexander Strzok again says, a cold, unwelcoming church contradicts the gospel message. So what do we do? How do we actually practice hospitality How do we seek to show it? Well, point three, the application of hospitality. First of all, remember, we're compelled by love, and as a result, we have a conviction. This is what we flow out of. We have motives, but this love of God compels us, so we have a conviction. A conviction is what we actually do, not just what we say we believe. If I say I believe something... I'll give an example of, say, perhaps giving 10% to your local church. So if I say I believe it, but I don't do it, I don't have a conviction about it. If I have a conviction, I'm actually doing it. I'm living in the good of it. So we want to hear the word and do the word, James 1.22, lest we be deceived. So the word says in Romans 12.13, seek to show hospitality. Seek is a word in the original language that's better translated pursue, and it's a forceful term. This, isn't, this is not saying to us, hey, look, if it ever comes your way where you have the opportunity to have hospitality with someone and to offer it, go ahead and take the opportunity." This is not saying it in Romans, Romans 12. It's not put that way. This is a forceful term where it means in an ongoing present tense, always be pursuing this. Always have your eyes open to it. Be thinking and planning how you can make this happen. Theologian Carl F.H. Henry's wife, Helga, says, Christian hospitality is not a matter of choice, not a matter of money, it's not a matter of age, Social standing, sex, or personality, Christian hospitality is a matter of obedience to God. Because what comes into our mind, at least if you can relate to me, what comes into our mind is all kinds of reasons why we can't do this. My place isn't big enough. And I've got some little kids that present a problem. I don't know how to cook. I don't know what to do. I'm tired when I get home from work. I'm behind on my Netflix series, so I I can't do hospitality. I got to catch up there. We can offer all manner of reasons why it's not part of our life. I'm persuaded many of you practice hospitality, by the way, but I want to remind us of its importance. If we have a conviction, we do hospitality. Uh, Second, these convictions mean that we minister to one another. The apostle Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4.9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I want to underscore the without grumbling. Because that implies what Peter's getting at is that hospitality might be a little messy. It might not be super neat, and it might actually resemble something that looks like work. And so we might be inclined to to complain about it. Peter's saying, no, because we're loving one another, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. When we gather on Sundays, we practice hospitality. We meet others, we care for them. Do you know that when someone comes in you might be the very first person to meet them. You might be their first impression here of Sovereign Grace Church Toronto. What does that person receive from us as we seek to give and minister to others? We practice hospitality when we do foster care or when we do adoptions. We practice hospitality when we have someone over for a meal and fellowship, we get to know them and inquire how their soul is doing and encourage them in their faith. And there's absolutely no fancy meal required. This is like soup is fine. Soup and salad is fine. Uh, You can make whatever you like, but the point is to gather over food and to connect with others. Hospitality may even mean that we lay down our life for someone a gentleman named Charles Colson, who you might not be familiar with in Canada, but Charles Colson started Prison Fellowship, which is a global ministry, and he was Richard Nixon's hatchet man. Nixon was a president in the US. He got impeached. He got in trouble. He got in trouble because of something called Watergate, and Colson was involved in, in this Watergate deal. Colson ends up, because of C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, coming to faith in Christ. And so he's connected to these powerful individuals in Washington DC. These powerful individuals learn that Colson has a son who was fighting drug rehab and Colson needed to be with his son to care for him. These friends volunteered to serve his prison time. So they would go in for a number of days and serve his time because the law allowed a substitute to take Colson's place. That's hospitality. They're seeking to care for the needs of another person. And it's going way overboard, right, to drop into prison for someone. Third, so, so we're motivated by love. We minister to the body of Christ, but we also minister to strangers. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, this requires a knowledge of the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, if you would read through and look for angels, you would find that angels visited Abraham and Sarah. They visited Lot, Gideon, Job, the parents of Samson, and I don't know who all else. But angels from time to time appeared. And we don't know, says the writer of Hebrews, when that may be the case. So we don't only connect with folks we know in the church, but we reach outside the church as well. Jesus had thoughts about this when he writes in Luke 14, 12 and following, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you'll be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let me remind you, we sow in this life understanding that some of the harvest we have is in eternity. The Lord promises that we don't necessarily receive everything in the here and now. When I think of feeding strangers, my mom comes to mind. She's no longer living, but we lived Um, along a major road and um, a town called Paradise. It's in Amish country in Lancaster County. And there was a train that ran nearby. And there were a group of men who lived outdoors in this little village. Uh, They were tramps or, or hobos, whatever the term is of those people that ride the trains. And uh, they would come knock on the door, and mom would make them sandwiches Though we were just scraping by ourselves. She would offer them food. And once you do this, word spreads, and then more come. is, is the way that goes. And mom always made them something, and it always blessed me to see her doing that. I, I would watch it with a feeling of pride. I didn't quite understand at my young age what was taking place, But I was so blessed that my mom had that kind of heart towards strangers. This is the most natural means of outreach. In our time, I think we all feel, and I could be wrong, but I think we all feel a sense of it's difficult to lead someone to Christ. At least I feel this. Back when I was in high school, it was not hard. Uh, When I was in high school, it was the days of the Jesus people. And all you had to do to get someone saved, and I'm not exaggerating, say, hey, you want to come to church? And they would come to church and get saved. It was remarkable what God was doing. Uh, I haven't seen the like since. But now... We find it's more difficult to engage a stranger, and some are good at this. I, I, will, I will admit there's a grace. We find it more difficult to engage a stranger and lead them to faith in Christ. But hospitality offers us a most natural means of outreach. Michael Green again says one of the most important methods of spreading the gospel in antiquity was by the use of homes. Your home is a mission base. And it's it's a question of how we deploy our home. How do we put it to use and to work? But we're invited to consider the possibility of hospitality. Alexander Strzok again. For the early Christians, the home was the most natural setting for proclaiming Christ to their families, neighbors, and friends. The same is true today. So the way it works where I live is people come home, And they pull in their garage, and they stay to themselves. And then they roll out the next morning to go to work. They go to work. They come home, put the garage up, roll in, park the car, do it all over again. And it's difficult to even connect with people. Sadly, and I'm I'm referring to Living Hope. I'm referring to my life. Sadly, many Christians don't even have an acquaintance that's a non-believer. In other words, the people that we hang with tends to be insular, it tends to just be in the church. And so if I, I'm, I'm not asking for show of hands or numbers, but I'm saying just think about, well, how many acquaintances do you have that are unbelievers? Some of us have family members that we can put in that category. That, that's certainly true. But as you think about your life, what is it like How do you connect with those who are unbelievers? Because, folks, they aren't coming to us. We go to them. And we want to go to them and not have them only see us. But we want them to see the love we have for one another. So we want them to see us with other Christians as well. So we give that thought as we think about how we can connect. Fourth. These convictions must be held by the elders in the church because the elders are examples. Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, with these words, a partial list of qualifications. 1 Timothy 3, 2, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Hospitable, able to teach. The elder must be hospitable, I want to commend to you, your pastors. We've stayed with Josh and Nina, as well as Tim and Joanne. I've also, um, well, we've stayed there several, several times. And uh, these men and their wives are hospitable, and I commend them for it. I mean, it's really fun to be there. The fellowship is sweet, and it's a blessing you have a great example, at least when it comes to folks who do hospitality with those who are in the church, those who are Christians. But in my experience back at Living Hope, uh, Ben's doing a good job of this, and he's seeking to build it into our culture. But I've had difficulty over the years making inroads and having connections to non-Christians. When I was in the workplace, no problem. When I left the workplace at age 35, it became challenging because I was around Christians all the time. It was hard to get time to make it happen. But, but I do not look back on that and think, and that was good. I think, nah, I should have done something there. Something doesn't seem right. Back home, Beth and I recently bought a house. We've been in it for two months. Before that, uh, we had to because we lived with best parents as caregivers, we had to move out of the retirement community, and we had a three to four month window where we had to find a place to live. And so, uh, we mentioned it to some friends in the church, and um, the Krebs, Ben, our senior pastor, uh, he offered us a place right away. Uh, Darren, Donna Wanger, you might know Laura her. uh, Her parents offered us a place. The Andersons offered us a place. And uh, I felt like it was because they all liked Beth a lot. So they wanted to take care of her. But um, that's hospitality. And in this case, it was with folks who were in the church, but we could do it with folks in need. For Beth and myself, our practice fell off quite a bit due to caring for her parents. We were Out of the center of the church geographically, and it was it was more challenging. We did some, but not what we liked. In moving into our new home, we're looking forward to having folks over regularly, and we've done so. We're empty nesters now, so we have a lot of time to have folks over. We moved into a a development, a community where we're number three out of 440 homes that, that are going to follow. Uh, singles and duplexes and, and townhomes. So we have an opportunity to help set a culture and build a culture in that community by connecting with those people as they come in. And we plan to do so as, as a way of life. We want to connect with folks to share Jesus with them. I'm glad that I've known a handful of folks in my life who can do this spontaneously They're just able to somehow navigate their way and just do it on the fly and it falls together. Beth and I have never been that way. We got a plan. We're going to make a plan, put it on the calendar and make it happen. And so if you're spontaneous and it works good for you, Uh, but I'd like to ask you to think about what your pursuit of hospitality looks like. What's hospitality like in your life? Who've you ministered to recently? Is hospitality a priority? No doubt for some of you it is because of the example of your pastors. But this is something we're called to. We're called to minister to others. And a primary way we do it is by meeting their needs and by feeding them. So let me conclude. Because God has blessed us in Christ we look to bless others. The way the Apostle Paul put it was, I look to spend and be spent. He, he looked to lay down his life as a living sacrifice. To this we're called as we follow Jesus. Hospitality is a ministry open to all, no one's excluded. Sometimes, along my many years of being a pastor, someone will come to me and say, I want to be involved in a ministry. I, I, I want to do something, and and the answers we have are always right out of the chute. You've always got serving, and you've always got hospitality. You can always be serving folks and connecting with them in life. So I exhort you to excel in this ministry. Perhaps as you've listened, your mind thinks this, but no one's had me over. I'm feeling stuck. I don't know how to proceed. I want to remind you of the grace that you have in Jesus Christ. God ministered to you. Remind yourself of the hospitality of God, the way Jesus has ministered to us by laying down his life. It wasn't convenient. Think of the love that's poured out towards you. And remember that love is not meant to bottleneck in you. It's not meant to just be received and dwell here. That love, in other words, you're not a jar that fills up and you experience the love of God. You're more like a hose where water flows through it and you receive it and it moves on out and you distribute it to others. We give away the love of God and it's glorious. Think about, pray about who you can bless. We only live this way because of what Jesus has done for us. The apostle John says, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the apostle John would say, little children, love one another, love one another, brotherly affection." kindness, which isn't just demonstrated by gathering on Sunday, but love one another by meeting in homes, having one another over, connecting, and perhaps inviting a neighbor in as well, because you're concerned to shine your light for the glory of Christ. This is the most natural way to reach out to others, and I want to encourage you to this end because we're living this life for the glory of God. And he's appointed us all to be priests and ministers in his kingdom. And so we seek to minister to others for his glory. Let me pray. Let's join our hearts together. Lord, we want to make a difference in this life and we desire to be a great church. Church is faithful in preaching and singing. ministry in our families and building a community and shining our light. We want to faithfully live for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to pay attention to the big rocks in our life, the things that matter most. I pray that you would lead us and guide us in the power of your spirit to invest our lives in others. Lord, we've been loved You'll never leave us or forsake us. And I pray that for all of us, that love would overflow to others in abundance. But I pray that you would help us lead others to Christ. We know it's your work. We know you have to turn the lights on. But we also know the gospel's gotta be preached. They can't believe unless they hear. And so I pray that we would be a church that's in contact with people who aren't yet believers. I pray that our lights would shine. I pray that we make a difference for your kingdom. So lead us and guide us, we pray. Help us to think, help us to plan, help us to respond. In all of this, I pray that you would work in us, that we would have a conviction about hospitality and that we would seek to show hospitality. In Jesus' name, amen.